Amen. Note takers, there's your QR code or link to go to for the sermon notes. Email those to yourself when you're done. fbcdan.com slash notes will take you there. This is our fourth and final week of Pretty Little Sins. I thought there'd be at least a little slight applause line there, but... Um, <laughs> we, uh, we've been looking at this for four weeks. It's our fourth week. It's our last week for now. God may bring it back at some point in time, but it's our last week for now. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 is where we will be today. If you are a uh, football fan, and you probably know of a guy named Walter Payton. Raise your hand if you know who Walter Payton is. Everybody over 35, raise their hand. Good job. Um, Walter Payton played running back for the Chicago Bears. Um, some coaches consider him to be the most complete and best football player that has ever played the game. He was a special player. Um, he was a small guy, undersized guy, but he played with a big heart. Somebody that I looked up to, I liked his style of play. I liked the way he ran. I liked the way how he never went out of bounds. Uh, he always turned and tried to deliver a blow to somebody. I just like Walter Payton. Um, extraordinary player. He said this. He has many good quotes. This is one of the quotes I love best of his. When you're good at something, you tell everyone. When you're great at something, they tell you. When you're good at something, you tell everybody. But when you're great, when you're one of, if not the greatest of all time, you don't have to tell anybody. They tell you. Keep that in mind as we dig in today. Second Timothy. But know this, Paul says to his little son in the faith, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus this morning. The only name, the only one that has done what it takes or could have ever done what it takes to save us from our sins, God. The Son of God, I come to you in his name, God, and I pray that you would take his word, your word, and implant it in us today to save those who are unsaved, Lord, and to transform forevermore those who have already called upon your name as Savior and Lord. We pray it all again in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you've noticed through this, through this uh, series, we've looked at several different spots, and there's other lists, but we've looked at several different spots, and there, there's words that come up over and over. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I hope that stuck out to you a little bit uh, of, of the things that are common occurrences in the lists of sinful man. Uh, and of course, this one here is a particularly... Um, I don't know, kind of a doomsday list because he talks about this is what it's going to be like in the last days. Well, this was true for Timothy in his time because he tells him right there, avoid these people, which means it was happening during his time. It doesn't, this hasn't just started. The, the problems that we have with sin and with mankind didn't start in your lifetime. It's always been the problem. Now, has it gotten worse or different and things like that? We could, we could debate and talk about that till the cows come home. That's not the point today. The point is, it is very clear by these lists 
if you are honest with yourself, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. That's a fact. The rest of it we can debate about. And today we're looking at, right there in the middle of the second verse in chapter 3, boastful and proud. Boastful and proud. Now, what comes to mind when you think of boastful, boastful and proud? Who comes to mind when you think of boastful and proud? Don't elbow anyone right now. Don't elbow the guy next to you and look at him, right? Don't do that, okay? But this guy comes to me when I think of boastful and proud. Now, if you're my age, again, it's, it tends to be around my age. But if you're around my age, you'll know who this guy is. But this guy was boastful and proud, right? You're talking to the Rolex wearing diamond ring. I'm not going to do it, but I could, right? <laughs> the best part is it's not on that gift. But the best part is when he says, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Talking about his alligator shoes. Anyway. <laughs> Ric Flair, Ric Flair is arrogant. He is boastful. He is proud. His, his character within the wrestling world was definitely that. This is what this is talking about. That guy's what this is talking about. Uh, and we're going to dig into those two words and really kind of look at uh, what that means for us and what it means for our heart. Okay, so there's two, two words here that describe boastful and proud. And it's really one idea. It's, it's a lot of things that go into these words. Okay? The, the first Greek word there, the one that, that we have for boastful, is alazon. Alazon. And the word means an empty pretender, a boaster, a braggart. There's a word we don't use very much. That word's very descriptive, I think, a braggart. I, I, I've never wanted to be described as a braggart. It just doesn't sound like a very fun thing to be described as. But that's what that word is. It's an empty pretender. That's the one that kind of... Needles me a little bit. An empty pretender. Let that sink in a little. An empty pretender. And the second word there is huperaphanos. Huperaphanos. Uh, showing oneself above others. Showing oneself above others. With, an, with an, an overestimation of one's means or merits. Okay? Huperaphanos. Despising others, even treating them with contempt. A great English word we have for it, and it, and it goes with this, is haughty. Someone that is haughty, someone that's high and mighty, someone who lifts their nose, they're haughty. They, they show themselves above one another. Now, literally, the word means excessively shedding light on yourself. Excessively shedding light on yourself. You can see the word at the beginning there that we have come to say as hyper, right? We've got hyper and hypo from the Greek. It's actually pronounced hooper, but that's neither here nor there. I'll still say hopper too, so don't worry about that. So, hooperaphanos, that first part there, the hyper, the hooper, however you want to say it, we know what that word means. Anytime you put that on the front of a word, it means too much, excessive, a lot, right? A, a, a big, if we, something you don't want to be is hyperglycemic, right? We don't want to be that. That means we're diabetic. So, the, the literal word there is hooper, too much of, and then phano, phano, which is to turn on a light or to reveal something. Right? Most of the, lots of times in the English, that word, when it's used by itself, when they translate it into English, it's, it's, it's uh, um, uh, to reveal. Right? To reveal. Light coming on. To reveal. Um, and so that's literally what the word means. In other words, this is the person that takes the spotlight and shines it on themselves. That would be the literal meaning of the word. But it's, 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 it's again, it's a braggart. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, someone that is boastful. Uh, so let's look at... A couple of complementary verses that go along with these words that share the same meaning, even use the same words. The first one is in Proverbs 21, 24. 
Mockers are proud and haughty. They act with boundless arrogance. Mockers are proud and haughty. They act with boundless arrogance. That's the NLT translation. The NLT does a great job with the wisdom literature of getting the point across of what's, being tried to, what's trying to be said. The Hebrew word right there for mockers is lutz. Lutz. And that's used often in Proverbs and often in the Old Testament. Mockers. Lutz. Okay? In the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, you take this verse and you, and you look it, break it down word by word, it's alazon. The same word is used right here. The, use, the word that's used for mockers is alazon. The same word is used for boastful in the first verse that we looked at. So it's, it's talking about the same thing. The mocker, the alazon, the boaster, the braggart is proud and haughty. They act with boundless arrogance. Here are some things that fall into the category of being an arrogant mocker. This is, this is the things that arrogant mockers do. Must take credit for something. The arrogant mocker, the proud, haughty, boastful braggart has to have the credit. Whether they deserve it or not. Sometimes you deserve credit. But the, but the braggart, the boastful person, has got to have the credit. Even when they don't deserve it. Here's another one. Has a hard time not having the spotlight on them. It's very difficult for the mocker, for the braggart, for the boastful, proud, arrogant person to not have the spotlight on them. They want that spotlight. Here's another one. Would rather do it wrong than by themselves. Excuse me. Would rather do it wrong by themselves than do it right with help. I'll say that one more time. Let that sink in. The braggart, the arrogant person, the person that, that has to have the spotlight, they'd rather do it wrong by themselves than do it right with help. Why? Because if you have to have help, then you have to share credit. And you have to have share credit, then this person, whomever this person is, doesn't want to do that. The braggart always rationalizes why what they're doing is right. The person that struggles with arrogance, the person that struggles with being boastful, person that struggles with pride is another word that we can use for it. This person can always make it sound like what they're doing is the right thing, or at least had a right motivation for why they did what they're doing, right? Maybe they did the wrong thing, but you got to understand, here's where the motivation was coming from. Here's what my heart really is. Now, it's not what I'm doing. It's not what I said. It's not how I'm living, but you know, let me convince you that somehow you still should praise me. You should still shine the light on me. I'll put it in the athletic context, okay? Here, here, here's, a, here's a good description of an athlete that struggles with arrogance or that just is arrogant. They would rather play good and lose than play bad and win. Think about that in the, in the team concept of the church. They'd rather play good and lose, rather look good and lose than play bad and win. Now recently I was watching uh, ESPN Plus puts out some pretty good documentaries, and they've recently done one on Derek Jeter. It's called The Captain. Now, forewarning, it's not edited, and there's a lot of locker room language in there. But I love the story behind the stories, when, especially when it comes to sports. And it's going through all the stuff behind the scenes on Derek Jeter, who was a really great baseball player, played shortstop for the Yankees for a long, long, long time, and was really good. At the same time he was coming up and becoming the star of the league, there was another guy by the name of Alex Rodriguez, who Albert Pujols just passed on the home run list this past week, which was awesome, because I don't like Alex Rodriguez, I'll be perfectly honest. 
I'm still mad about the fact that the Rangers gave him a 10-year, $252 million contract when we needed pitching. And, and it's not Alex's fault that I hold that against him, but I do. Anyway, here's a quote that was from that documentary, and it just jumped out at me because I was, I, I'm always thinking about where we're headed next and all that. It said this, Alex was focused on being a star. Derek was focused on winning. And because of that, became a star. And that's a good description of being arrogant versus being humble. Arrogant versus being humble. Alex wanted to be a star. He wanted to do everything to be a star and was probably physically better than Derek Jeter. But Jeter was the man because Jeter was focused on winning. And because he won, he became a star. He was focused on the right things. Here's another verse. Psalm 119. A chapter in Psalms that Stuart did an excellent job preaching on a few weeks back. The proud hold me in utter contempt, but I do not turn away from your instructions. The Hebrew word here for proud is the same word that it was in the other verse. It's lutz. The same word. The pr- we've translated the proud here. We've translated mockers in the other verse because of the context. Depends on how it's being used, right? So the Hebrew word is lutz, but in the Septuagint, in the Greek... The word used here for, pow- for proud is huperaphanos. Huperaphanos, the same word that we had in 2 Timothy when we first started. The proud. Okay? The implication in the way that it's said in the Greek, the implication for the proud here, the wording in this verse is that the proud are excessive law breakers. Almost like if you start with being proud, if you start with being arrogant, if you start with pride, if you start with boast- a boastful heart, if you start there... You can't help but be an excessive lawbreaker. And I don't mean the speed limit. I mean God's law, right? They constantly break the law of God. Why? Because when we're praising ourselves and not turning praise to God, we're breaking the first law. The very first one. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods besides me. Anything we place on that pedestal of praising, especially ourselves, is replacing God, where only God can exist. That's kind of the implication behind what this word is looking at here. So what's the, I've already said it, but what is the, what is the opposite of arrogance? What is, what is it, if we're not supposed to be a boastful, proud, alizone, huperaphanos type of person, if that's not supposed to be the heart that we're supposed to have, then what are we supposed to have? I love the way First Peter says it. Peter says it this way at the end of verse 5. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because, anytime there's that in there, we've got to pay attention. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you are a follower of Jesus, you should be clothed, which is something you choose to put on every day. You don't just stay in the same clothes. Sometimes we change numerous times a day. Clothe yourself, choose to put on humility Every single day, especially towards whom? What does it say? Towards whom? Humility towards whom? One another. Who is one another? That's you and me, right? That's one another. That's the church. That's the, the, the local body, the body of Christ towards one another. We should especially be humble towards each other, but we should be humble towards the world as well. Humble towards one another. Why? Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, Peter 
there in that verse is quoting from the Septuagint Proverbs 3. He's quoting a verse from the Septuagint Proverbs 3, the Greek, the Greek, Greek translation. We've talked about this before, so I won't belabor it, but the word here for resist, God resists the proud. The word here is a military term. It's a military term. God is actively at war with the proud. When we act, when we live, when we exist, when we show arrogance, braggart, braggart, boastful, prideful hearts, when we do that, we are actively asking and inviting God to be at war with us. That's what this says. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The humble know that they need him. The proud, the arrogant, want it to be about them. God is actively at war with the proud, with those that are out of zone or hooperaphanos, with the arrogant, actively. First John says it this way. Some people say that this sums up all sin, and, and I can see that point. I'm not saying that's, that's not a doctrine, I would say, but that's a good estimation of this verse. For the world offers only three things, craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world, right? The lust of pleasure, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, yours probably says. Same thing. Craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Guess what word, it's one word in the Greek, what I have highlighted there in the English, it's one word in the, in the Greek. Alizonia. Same word, it's just the feminine form. Alizonia. Feminine form of the masculine noun, alazon. Same word in the Greek. Same thing. So if we summed it all that up, all that, what are we saying? We're just saying arrogance. I think arrogance is the best and most complete modern English word to describe boastful, pride, proud, bragging, braggart, all those things. Arrogance. Someone who walks around, like they are better than others. Here's something I've never heard. I've never heard this one time in my life, and I've for sure never said this. Never heard this. Man, me and that dude, we're boys. We became friends, and he just brags all the time, and it's so fun. I just love how arrogant he is. I've never heard, has anybody ever heard? I've never heard one single person ever say, you know, my favorite quality in him my favorite quality in her, the reason that I enjoy spending time with him, the reason I enjoy spending time with her is because they're so arrogant and it just warms my heart. It makes me feel so good. I just can't wait to walk in the doors and spend time, just sit down and hear them talk about themselves over and over and over. They never stop talking about themselves. No matter what the situation is, somehow they did the best. Somehow they did it right. Somehow they're better than you. Somehow they're the best. And I just enjoy spending time around him. I enjoy spending time around her. It's the funnest thing I've ever done. Now, if you've ever said that, we need to talk because you may need to be institutionalized. Because nobody says that. And when we think about these sins that way, it makes total sense. No one wants to hang around that type of person. Therefore, why would we ever want to be that type of person? 
that would mean, if you were that type of person, that people don't want to hang around with you. Because we just all agreed that you don't want to hang around with that person. Why do we do that? There's many reasons. But we all struggle with this to some degree or another. Every one of us struggles with this. It's very hard not to explain and rationalize why you're right. Very hard not to take credit for something that's done. You say, well, I don't struggle with that. I, I would call you a liar to your face. At some point, at some, in some situation, you do struggle with that. Maybe you don't want to be standing right here, and I don't blame you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about day-to-day living, day-to-day working. You're at your job. You're the employee that puts your nose down. You're the worker bee, right? You get after it. You do what you're supposed to do, and you do what you're supposed to do, and you do what you're supposed to do. And it's been a long time since your boy, boss pointed out that you do a good job. And deep down, you just want to stand up and go... I'm the reason this place is staying together. If it weren't for me, this place would fall apart. Where's that coming from? An arrogant heart. An arrogant heart. That's why I said earlier, it's wanting credit for things that you do or don't deserve. Sometimes it's just, maybe you do deserve the credit, but you you just can't stand when you're not getting it. It's a, it's a condition of being human because it's a condition of having a sinful heart. It is what it is, and it ain't no iser, as the guy said that worked with my dad. It is what it is, and it ain't no iser. Pride in our achievements, pride in our possessions. Arrogance. So here's the thing. We'll sum it up like this. Where does humility come from? Humility is not talking bad about yourself. Humility, humility is not saying, I'm terrible, I'm not worth it, I'm not, I'm not anything. Humility is not saying, I don't want the credit, I don't want, that's not what it is. Humility comes when we are satisfied with our God-given value. Humility comes when we are satisfied with our God-given value. We recognize who we are in Christ. We recognize who God made us to be. And we trust in Him and in that. Maybe, maybe he made you to be a worker bee. Maybe that's your thing. Maybe being out front and center is not your thing. And instead of being resentful towards that, you recognize that, hey, that I actually like having my head down, my nose down. I like to be that person that's knocking out the checklist. I like to be that person that doesn't get much credit for the hard work that I do. You, you recognize and are satisfied with your God-given value. You recognize and are satisfied that Jesus Christ gave his life to ransom you for eternity. There's nothing else that we could say to place value on you. There's nothing else that God could have done more to say, I care about you, I value you, I love you. You are priceless in my eyes because I gave up everything to have you. You understand that regardless of your your lot in life, Jesus Christ wanted you forever, and in that you find true satisfaction. And because you're satisfied in God, you're humble. You realize that God has done it, that God is the only one that can do it, that God is the only one that will continue to sustain you in this world. Humility comes from knowing Jesus Christ, from knowing your God-given value. 
Conversely to that, proud boasters who arrogantly brag about themselves and scorn God, which is what the mocker, that's what that word means. To brag and to boast is to scorn God. Are speaking from a place of dissatisfaction. I want you to think about that for a second. The reason that pride bubbles up, the reason that arrogance shows itself, the reason that we have to turn that spotlight towards us when we think we deserve it, the reason that we have to justify why we think we're right or why what we did came from the right place, the reason is we're speaking from a place of dissatisfaction. You're not happy about something. You're dissatisfied about something or you're dissatisfied with someone. That's the only place that that can come from. Because when we're satisfied in who we are and what's being done in our lives, when we're satisfied, we don't care. We don't care about credit. We don't care about those things. But when we're dissatisfied, like the worker bee, right? I just want him to come by and go, good job. I just want my boss, I just want her to come by and say, I appreciate what you're doing, right? Lack of appreciation can be one of the key ways that we become dissatisfied. Husbands and wives need to hear that. Lack of appreciation can be one of the key areas and the reasons why we become dissatisfied in a relationship. It's a dangerous place to be. Husband, you better make sure you're appreciating your wife verbally and otherwise. And wives, you better make sure that you're appreciating your husbands because last time I checked, both of you were sinners, which means you're prone to become dissatisfied and get frustrated in a relationship that matters very much. But people satisfied in Jesus do not have a need to arrogantly brag about themselves. People who are satisfied in Jesus do not have a need to have credit given their way. People who are satisfied in Jesus don't mind if the spotlight turns to someone else because they realize it's not about that. It's not, we just sang about it. Lord, help me not to want man's praise. Help me not to want man's praise. Help me not to live for mankind's praise. Help me desire to please you. Help me desire to shine a light on, not me. Don't turn the spotlight towards me, Lord. I don't want that. I want the spotlight towards you. Man, you're so good at it. Yeah, thank the Lord. He gave me that ability. He gave me that blessing. He gave me that opportunity. He gave me everything that I have. He loves me. He gave me Jesus. People who are satisfied in Jesus do not have a need to arrogantly brag about themselves. If, if you find yourself needing to have the credit, to brag about yourself, to justify your reasons, all the things that we've talked about, if you find yourself in that, and you call yourself a Christian, that should be a check engine light. That should be a check engine light in your relationship with Christ. Something's not right. You have unrepentant sin in your life. It's been a while since you cracked open your Bible. You haven't been in prayer very much. You've been neglecting the gathering of the saints, fellowship, something. Something in your life is off if you feel this need bubbling up in you often because it shouldn't. When we're satisfied in Jesus, that won't be there. But we become dissatisfied sometimes. It happens. What should we be chasing after? What should we be going after? 
Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or for righteousness. The word can mean either thing. God blesses those who hunger and thirst, who desire, not the spotlight, but to do what's right. For they will be satisfied. When our focus is living life the way God wants us to live, when our focus is shining a light on Jesus, the way Mike Seaball said, when our focus is making God famous, when that's our focus, we will be satisfied. Okay? Literally, your, your English may say you will be filled. Same thing. When you're thirsty or hungry and you get something, you're satisfied because you're filled. The Lord will fill us up. Why is this the case? This is how we'll finish. Why is this the case? Why do we feel this need? Why do we have this proneness to dissatisfaction? Why, do we have, why are we prone to try and, and get stuff to make us feel better? It's because we have a God-sized hole in our life. Human beings, one way the Lord says it is, have been born with eternity in their hearts. We're finite beings. We recognize very early on that we can be hurt by others, that we are vulnerable, that death is real. We recognize that, but we realize that that's not right. That shouldn't be the case. I mean, every culture that's ever existed has tried to explain why that is. The Lord says he put eternity in our hearts. We know that we were made to be in the presence of God forever. We know that. It's in us. But for some reason, we look around, and there's injustice, and there's disparity. Some have a lot, and some have a little. There's, all these, there's sickness, and there's death, and there's grief, and there's all this junk. And we go, I just want to be happy. Maybe if I get a raise, I'll be happy. Maybe if I find Mrs. Wright, I'll be happy. Maybe if I lose that 10 pounds of holiday weight I've been carrying for six years that's now 30 pounds, then I'll be happy. And no matter what we do, when we get to those things, we get to it and go, hmm, what's next? Christ said it this way, drink from what the water that I give and you'll never be thirsty again. Right? When you're thirsty and you drink water, it's like, ah. But it's not too long before we're thirsty again. You can't fill a God-sized hole with man-made stuff. Trying to fill a God-sized hole with man-made stuff is eventually going to lead to arrogance. You're going to try to fill that hole with getting praise turned towards you. Only Jesus, who is God, can fill that hole, that hole of satisfaction. He's the only thing that brings satisfaction. It really is that true. It really is that simple. So, two things. Maybe you've never started a relationship with Jesus in faith. Maybe you have never, ever, ever began a relationship with Jesus in faith. You've never, you've never been born again, is one of my favorite ways to say it. You've never said, God, I am a sinner. I don't want sin. I want you. I don't want the world. I want you. I don't want all those things I'm trying to fill up this hole of dissatisfaction with. I want you. I trust in you. I hope in you for the forgiveness of my sin and for the gift of eternal life. Maybe you've never began that journey 
today. Or maybe, maybe you already have, but you've drifted. You've drifted. You should be here, but like that slow, steady current that you almost don't even notice, you've just kind of drifted. And you've forgotten where your satisfaction comes from. And you've become fixated on finding satisfaction in worldly things, in your achievements and possessions, as First John says. Maybe you've just drifted. We've just said why or what you can do to change that. Get back to the basics. The answer for either one of those two, whether you've never began your relationship with Jesus or you're drifting from your relationship with Jesus, the message is the same. The message is the same today. Repent. 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 Turn away from that and turn back to Jesus. Or turn away from that, repent, and turn to Jesus for the first time. It's the same message. It's always been the same message. Repent and turn to me, Jesus says. Repent and turn to me. Jesus says it this way in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me. See if this sounds like the way you feel in life right now. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke. Learn from me because I am gentle and I am humble in heart. And you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That sounds like a God that's going to satisfy us when we turn to him. And my hope, for, my hope for all of us as we finish up this series, my hope for all of us is that you don't take this series and these things we've talked about, because it's, it's, beat, it's beat me up a little bit. If it hadn't beat you up, I feel sorry for your calloused heart. I don't know how else to say that. It's beat me up. It's, not, it's, it's hard. But my hope is that you don't take these things and then try to create a checklist of things that you need to fix in your life. That's not going to work. That is not going to work. You are not going to not, you're not going to grit your teeth and not gossip for the rest of your life. You're not going to grit your teeth and never be arrogant again for the rest of your life. You're not going to do that. It's, it's the same thing. You're trying to fill that hole with yourself, with your ability, with your strength. My hope is that this showed us how utterly desperate we are for the hope, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus. We are utterly desperate for a God that is willing to do that. Because if it weren't for that, you and I wouldn't have a chance to become not these things we've looked at in this series. My hope is that it would spark a desire in all of us to be transformed by Jesus and for Jesus as we move forward by always placing our hope and our trust in Him from a place of true humility. I hope that we say, God, I can't. I'm turning to you. God, I can't. I'm turning to you. Every day I hope we get up and clothe ourselves with that truth. God, I can't. I'm turning to you today. Your strength today. Your humility today. Your satisfaction, God. 
I want to do right by you today, God. And by doing right by you, I want to do right by others today, God. I hope, I hope that this reminds us of how easy it is to, became, to become the people that Paul told Timothy to avoid. Paul said, avoid these people. Don't have them in your life because it will cause you to do the exact same thing. And my hope is, is that we love Jesus. <laughs> and because we love Jesus and he loves us, we love each other. Not that you have a checklist and go, oh, I was pretty humble today. Oh, old girl at work tried to gossip today and I said, oh, you shouldn't gossip, you sinner. That's, 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 not, that's not where we want to go with this. The hope is that our wretchedness and sinfulness turns us to Jesus every day. I'll pray for us and we'll finish up in song. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you do not give up on us. Thank you that you do have grace and mercy abounding eternally, God, to cover up our wretched sinfulness, our desire to justify ourselves before you. God, we can't justify ourselves before you. Can we just learn to daily find rest in you, with you, and in that truth and in that peace, desire to live that day for you because you deserve it? God, anyone here today that doesn't know you, may today be the day of salvation when they come forward and profess their desire to repent from sin and turn to you. If there's any other business, God, if prayer, reconciliation between friends, whatever needs to take place during this time, God, may it take place in your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name, that is. Amen.